From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, August 30th, 2018. This is episode 69, Salad, Let's Not Be Hasty. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am your host, Jason Snell, as always, and I am joined by three wonderful guests and no producer. Stephen Hackett is on dad duty this week and can't be here, but I have three people to fill the chairs at Download this week. Aline Sims returns to the program. She's a podcaster at Relay FM and creator of App Launch Map. Hi, Aline. Hello. I'm, I'll try to live up to a third of Stephen. Did you just say adios at the end, and uh, pretty much you've got the whole impression of Steven, quite frankly. My hair's not curly enough, yeah, but I'll true. do what I can do. It's true. Uh, Renee Ritchie from iMore and the Vector podcast and video and YouTube channel and media empire is here. Hi, Renee. <laughs> hey, Jason. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Hey, thank you for coming. And uh, Nick Guy from The Wirecutter, my favorite website, half of my house is filled with things bought because The Wirecutter told me to, is here making his first appearance too. Hi, Nick. Hey there, Jason. How are you doing? It's great to have you here. Um, and we're going to talk about the, for those, for the two of you who haven't been on before, the most interesting <laughs> stories of the week as chosen by the people who decide. That's me and Stephen Hackett. Um, <laughs> and Stephen's not here. So if, if you're angry about a story that I picked, uh, it's my fault. You can complain directly to me, the host. Uh, topic number one, it is what uh, a bunch of my friends call silly season, the silly season of Apple rumors, because of course, this is, uh, we're getting to the time of year when Apple usually hosts a press event and launches new iPhones and other things. And uh, that means that we are just now in the peak of iPhone rumor season. There are a bunch of reports out in the last couple of weeks about this. The idea is that uh, Apple may be prepping uh, to announce three different phones, an updated 5.8 inch, basically iPhone 10 update, a new uh, larger OLED screen, 6.5 inch OLED screen uh, that would be kind of like an iPhone 10 plus um, an all new iPhone 9 maybe, who knows, but it's, it's a large 6.1 inch but LCD screen in the same edge to edge notch design as the iPhone 10, so a little different kind of product than we've seen before um, There are there's talk about dual SIM card slots that might be there or might not be there, there were, there were feelings that it might have Apple Pencil support, but then there are also people saying that it won't have Apple Pencil support, even though there's going to be a this huge 6.5-inch OLED screen. Um, there was a report about next year's iPhones, which is like, come on, guys, can you save that for a year, please? Dropping support no for one's ever happy. 3D Touch. I mean, really, let's, talk, let's start the 2020 iPhone rumors now. Why not? Like, who's going to stop us? Anyway, there are a lot of supply chain reports. The, the, you know, supply chain reports are a little bit easier to leak than... Um, than uh, marketing. So in terms of, of pricing and naming, it's a little bit uh, shakier. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I guess we'll start with your reactions to what's being rumored. Um, I'm also kind of curious about whether these rumors are useful in any way, or if this is purely for entertainment purposes. I think we ought to start with Renee, because Renee, you talk about this stuff all the time. It is what you do. What are you thinking about this flurry of rumors? Does it, is it, is it setting kind of your expectations for what Apple's going to do? next month hey maybe they won't do another iphone maybe 10 was enough like big bang theory they'll just drop the mic and walk away you know i in fact i i can report exclusively that as i read that 
intro, I got invited to the Apple event, which will be on September 12th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Oh, so, so check your email, Renee. And uh, yes, yeah, so there you go. So now it's even more timely. Uh, yeah. What? Do you, so, so you know, we know that we knew that this email was coming that I literally just got. Um, but what about the rest of it? There, this is the is it does benefit Apple to have kind of like the 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 rumor mill like bubbling with hype and people excited and anticipation? Um, or or is it? Uh, what, what do you think, Renee? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yes and no. I mean, if it's early on in the season, like you're talking about 2020 already, then that has, uh, you know, a calming effect on current sales, <laughs> which they hate. But if it's right before an event when almost everybody knows a new iPhone is coming, then it starts to build up the hype. And Apple does enjoy an amazing amount of uh, free marketing because there is so much interest. Every television crew is there. Every tech site is is there. We talk about it for weeks and months leading up to it. There's huge anticipation. People can't wait. It's a, It's one of the closest things we have to like the Oscars or the Super Bowl in in tech events. And yet Google and you know there's a couple other big ones, but this is one of the biggest ones. And also because it's so consumer facing. It's not frameworks and APIs. It's like this is the phone you're gonna have in a couple of weeks. Do you want to see it now? Sure you do. Of course you do. And I think it's really interesting this year because once upon a time Apple did a flagship and an entry level with the iPhone 5S and 5C. Then the very next year they did a big and bigger flagship with the six and the six Plus, and now this year they're doing a big and bigger flagship and an entry level with whatever the 10 successor is, the 10 plus, and I guess the 10 minus for the entry level version. I think that's really, really interesting because it shows the maturity of the market and what Apple's doing to try to get those adjacent people interested in another. I don't want to say super cycle, Jason. Do I have to? You do not. You do not. Okay. What if they call it just like the iPhone and then the iPhone 10 and 10 plus and then they... Bump the ver- ten plus point one one. <laughs> 10 plus 0.2. How, how do you do decimals and then with start numerals? I don't know. I don't know. It needs to be workshopped a little bit. But what if that, and <laughs> I, I mean, I'm asking that a little bit globally, but like, what if it really is just the iPhone from now on and the iPhone 10 and iPhone 10 plus and they just iterate on that or change to a new naming scheme? Because I mean, by the time we get to iPhone 23 or something, mm. it, it gets really cumbersome to say. So I feel like they've got to change that pretty soon or maybe they don't care. They have a history of that. Yeah, that naming is something where they're really inconsistent. We've seen iPads go from 2, 3 to the new iPad to the Air, now just iPad again. Uh, so it's really, it's, it's strange how the iPhones have always been numbered in this way, but the they're not very consistent about that. Um, one thing that I think is going to be kind of interesting about this cycle is the, you know, the, the iPhone 9 or the XC or whatever we want to call it, the, the cheap one is going to be the first time that you're going to have to actually pay a premium to get a smaller screen. So if that one comes in with the 6.1 inch screen and then the iPhone 10S, 10.2, whatever we're calling it with a 5.8 inch screen will likely be more expensive with its OLED display and probably the dual cameras still. So I think that's uh, going to be an interesting to see how people react to that. I know a lot of people really like the size. I mean, we know there are people out there who really like the size of the iPhone SE. And then there's also the iPhone 6, 7, 8 size that people are used to. One of the things that strikes me about this rumor about the uh, 6.1 inch LCD screen, lower cost iPhone 10 style model is it's a 6.1 inch screen. It's larger. It, you know, this product would be larger than your standard edition iPhone 6, 7, 8. And, uh, is that an issue? Because I know, I mean, there's just pure ergonomics. Some people don't want a larger phone, even if the screen is nice, because they, they can't fit it in their hand. 
But isn't that uh, just a showing of how important emerging markets are, and particularly Asian markets, where smartphones are primary computing devices, and they're the ones who first gravitated towards the larger Android phones, the Galaxy Note even, mm -hmm. because that, that's the device they use all the time, and they need it to be as big and as functional as possible, and at that, as those markets become more and more important, because they are less saturated for Apple, frankly, than the North American market, I think it's, it's sort of a nod to just like people who need affordable phones also tend now to need big phones, and the American who just want small phones can wait till like next year. Yeah, it would be weird though, wouldn't it? If there, if the smallest phone that Apple released uh, next or in two weeks is the iPhone 10. Judge me by my size, Jason. Nick and Aline, um, what do you think about this idea that uh, Apple is getting is doing these larger phones? Do they do they excite you? Are you are you large phone people, or is it sort of like, well, it's good for as Renee said, it's good for lots of people, especially if it's your only your primary computing device. But uh, I'm curious, uh, how do you feel about these the big phone? emphasis yeah i was an iphone i was a plus size iphone user for a long time until the iphone 10 did come around um and i've gotten used to the smaller size on the 10 i honestly don't know which way i'm going to go this year if i'll go with the the standard 10 size or go up to the 6.5 inch plus um but you know it, it's nice to have that screen real estate but it's also nice to have a phone that will fit in your pocket yeah, I don't know. I, I've been, I was same, same deal. I got an iPhone six. And then when I upgraded to the six S, I went with the plus and also seven plus. And so the iPhone 10 was a major screen real estate downgrade for me. And for the most part, I'm used to it. There are things I don't love it for, like the Kindle app on iPhone 10 and the font size I have to have it bumped up to to read at night, um, is kind of unwieldy. And I read a lot on my phone. I really, really, Actually, the more I think about it, tempted by like an iPhone 10 plus sized phone. Um, I do feel bad though, because there are a lot of people who love the SE size. I, even like in the tech industry, people who are iOS developers, I know quite a few people who use the SE size. And so I feel bad for them because they're kind of left in the dust. Um, if, if this particular rumor is And there true. were rumors for a few years that there would be a sequel to the SE coming and it never did materialize and they seem to have quieted down. So I wonder if that's something that we're not going to see or if maybe Apple does just keep the same body and put, uh, you know, an A11 chip in there and says, here you go. Or the first one came out in March, right, Jason? And so it's possible that we might see that in the spring with like an iPhone 7 or 8 style device, but with a full screen. Yeah, yeah. That in fact, that is the thing that uh, Mike Hurley and I on Upgrade this week kind of stumbled on. That was not an idea I had thought of before, which is the idea that maybe the SE name is going to get repurposed to be for the. Uh, it, it, we thought it meant iPhone five style. Maybe what it means is previous body style, and that the six, seven, eight style will become the new SE at some point. Uh, that would be an interesting thing. It would make all the people who have the compact SE. Uh, unhappy but i think you know the, the the truth of it is everybody it's ergonomics and it's personal ergonomics and nobody is going to get like a hand upgrade to make their hand larger in order to hold a larger phone so maybe organizing your products around around these ergonomics and saying look we offer a variety of sizes of phone for you to choose it's not a bad idea to say we've got a little phone we've got a huge phone take your pick by, there are a lot of iPhones out there instead of it just being sort of like, sorry, fashion says that people with small phones or people with small hands can't enjoy phones anymore. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm a two-handed phone user no matter what, so it doesn't impact me a whole lot. But like 
that's not how a lot of people want to upper, operate. Uh, what about this? Uh, so we got some accessory rumors here, though. I think it's kind of interesting. It goes to the definition of like what what makes an iPhone. There's this thought that 3D touch may not be included in all models and maybe uh, going away from the product. That was at least a rumor that came out. There's also this question about the Apple Pencil and whether it could be the pencil technology could be applied to the iPhone, especially when you look at that big 6.5 inch screen. The software is already there because of the iPad to support that. Uh, um, so 3D Touch, Apple Pencil, are these things that define or don't define the iPhone? Um, what do you think, Renee? I'm, it's so interesting to me because the reason they did 3D Touch to begin with is because unlike the iPad, which had split view controllers, so you could see your list and your master view at the same time, the iPhone just had one column and you'd have to go back, go to the message, go back, go to the message, and it took a long time. So 3D Touch was like an accelerator. You could... It, warp your way through the interface to like check preview a bunch of messages go through and it was it, it was really tricky it buried a lot of stuff but it did help make the interface faster and just getting rid of that yeah it gets rid of something that maybe not everyone was aware of but it doesn't add functionality that was supposed to be addressed by the original solution yeah those rumors have been really strange to me i can't see a benefit of taking 3d touch away even if people don't use it you know we know there are plenty of features in all of Apple's devices that may not be used by the vast majority of people, but the people who do use them really love them. So I can't see what advantage taking 3D Touch away would really have for anyone. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like, especially if the rumors are true and the home button's going away, except for maybe an SE-sized phone, I think that there's a lot of potential there for 3D Touch to be, like, I don't know, for new APIs to be written or for for new paradigms for how we interact with our phones to come of that. Um, it's really hard to discover, though. So unless you're um, really looking into what a phone can do or you have a f- friend or family member who's super into it and shows you um 3d touch is not a thing i think that most people are aware of and like even i nerdy Aline, only use it to like select text i forget that i can 3d touch uh icons and that kind of thing to to bring up uh menus on the home screen and that kind of thing so it's an interesting thing where i could see it going away because i do not think that it's a lot of people who use it i think it's you know like power users and people who are really informed but I also think that, um, like I said, there's a lot of room for potential innovation and, I don't know, just like some cool stuff that we can do with our phones with 3D Touch and that extra sensitivity. It's funny. I uh, I, I very rarely use 3D Touch and I'm not quite sure. I, I think the technology is cool, but I, I think there are some discoverability issues there. I think that maybe the definition of what a 3D Touch uh, is supposed to represent has been a little bit inconsistent. Um, it would not surprise me if Apple did make a decision to say, look, this isn't working and walk away from it if they really feel like it's not necessary and that it was just a cul-de-sac. But we, it's rare that Apple makes a decision like that. I'm, I'm much more excited, and I'm not a big pen and pencil kind of person anyway, about the possibility of using an Apple Pencil, a redesigned smaller Apple Pencil on something like that large. When, when you've got an iPhone 10 Plus, essentially, a 6.5-inch diagonal OLED screen, it's like you've got a little notepad there um, and scribble in a notepad is something you can already kind of do that with notes on uh, iOS 11 on the iPad Pro. So, um, you know, pencil on iPhone, is that something that people actually want, do you think? Remember, it was a Samsung commercial several years ago. Like, it comes with a stylus. (laughs) 
I don't think it's likely that Apple's going to stick a, si- a stylus inside an iPhone and no. have it pop out, right? <laughs> no. I, you know, I don't think most people would actually care for it. it. It is still, I think, a fringe feature, but I would love it so much just because I used Wacom tablets for so long. And to me, this is field notes that automatically back up to iCloud and Dropbox, and that would just be so great. And it seems like technologically it'd be easy enough for Apple to do it. It, it seems like it's more of a matter of will if, if they want to or not. I think Quo said it was a bad experience, right? Like they've had it in the labs for years, but they often have things like like touchscreen Macs in the labs and they just decide they don't like the way that they feel. So it's interesting to me because I am a heavy analog person. Like I'm a I'm microly level, like I don't podcast about it, but like I'm fountain pen, fill your own ink, get it everywhere type person. Um, and I'm not interested in Apple Pencil to iPhone. That doesn't mean I don't see the utility of it. But I'm thinking about, especially if the form factor of the pencil doesn't change, like using this really long pencil with your phone in your hand, like on the bus, it just seems like not a great experience. Um, but I also don't like small notebooks. So that's part of it. I also struggle to use my Apple Pencil on my iPad. I thought I'd be writing all the time using like um, PDF apps to um, create things with with clients and that kind of thing. And I actually fall back on analog technologies and just, you know, snap a picture of it and send it or, or scan it if it needs to be, you know, fancier in some way. But um, I, I see the use case for it. But it's interesting to me that I am not kind of in that demographic as someone who is really really, really leans on handwriting things a lot. Yeah, it's definitely a fringe feature, but I just, I, I think there might be something there, but maybe this isn't the year. I, I, I uh, am not surprised that, uh, that uh, what is it, Roger Quo is, is stamping down the rumor of 3D Touch on iPhone. I'm not surprised by that, uh, but I still had some hope that with a huge phone, it might be Apple saying, you know what, maybe now, maybe now is the time, but maybe we not. A, we need a smaller pencil, Jason, or could we use the full-sized Apple pencil? No, I think, I think that there needs to be a smaller pencil, and I, I was actually thinking about about how with the iPad earlier this year, Apple introduced this technology that's used in that Logitech crayon. That's the the different yeah. non-Bluetooth, uh, no need to pair kind of uh, technology that we've not seen in an, in an iPad before. And I thought that was, it's interesting that that's only in one product right now. Now, maybe it'll be in new iPads this fall, but I had that thought of like, is there something going on here where we got like new pencil features in the iPad in iOS 11, where we got this new pencil technology but not in an Apple Pencil per se. And, and one, I wondered if like that that's enough, you know, uh, Renee, you know this, having read, written about this so much, that the, you start to try to read the tea leaves a little bit and like, okay, Apple's <laughs> moving a bunch of stuff around that seems sort of unrelated, but it could potentially be related. And that's what put my radar up about the idea of writing on an iPhone is it literally that, which is they're tinkering a lot with the Pencil stuff. Is that just for the iPad Pro? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But and the iPad, uh, not Pro, but maybe not i don't know um we got more to talk about on on download we we talk about multiple subjects not just this one subject uh and we will continue in a moment but first i want to take a break tell you about our sponsor this week this episode is brought to you by pingdom while you've been listening to this podcast how would you know if your website had gone down i just made a lot of people nervous they're going to check now but here's the thing would you know if your customers couldn't click the buy now button or access your content you might stumble across this problem by luck but that's no good you need a system and you need something to tell you that everything on your site is running smoothly not just 
notice that the homepage is up. And most importantly, when it's not working smoothly. For that, you need Pingdom, which lets you know the moment your site or parts of it go down, and you can choose whatever way works best for you. Email, push notification, text message, you know, you pick. They're smart, too. They get the information needed to solve the issue sent to whoever needs it, whether that's one person or your whole team. They're dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. They use more than 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. All Pingdom needs to get started is your URL. They take care of the rest. Don't risk being the last one to know about something on your site being broken. Start monitoring your site today. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout. You'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Topic number two, digital well-being has been a theme this year, Google especially, but of course other companies, including Apple, with the stuff that they're putting in iOS 12, have talked about how we need to be more aware of how we use our uh, our technology and how much we use it. So now YouTube, has, this is so dangerous, has added a tool that will tell you how much time you spent watching videos on YouTube. You tap your account icon and tap timed watched and you are going to see it. Um, it's in the iOS and Android YouTube apps. Not on the web yet, but I'm sure that's going to happen anytime now. You can see the watch time for your current day, for yesterday, for the past week, and also a daily average. And you can set a reminder to take a break after a set amount of time. This fits with Google's whole digital well-being initiative that they also uh, threw into Android Pie. And of course, like I said, iOS 12. So uh, what do you think about about these features in general and this feature in particular? I, I, for one, dread finding out how much time my son spends watching YouTube because that it may be more than 24 hours a day. I don't know how, but it may be. Nick, what do you think about um, YouTube monitoring and letting you know how much you're using it? It's really interesting to me that they are doing it at the app level as opposed to the OS level. Um, you know, I think this kind of information is, is good information to have and that people can make decisions, healthy decisions based on it. But you really need to opt in. And I've been running the iOS 12 beta on my iPhone. And I think I might have looked at the, uh, the usage information once just to see what it was all about. And I, you know, I haven't looked back since. I'm sure I would be embarrassed if I did see exactly how many hours a day I spent in the different apps on my phone. But I don't really feel a burning desire to go and look. Uh, so I don't know. It's it, like you mentioned, you know, seeing how much time your son spends on there, it might be more useful as a, as an allowance or monitoring kind of thing more than actually getting people to give it up themselves. I err on the side of thinking that technologies like this are good, that um, allowing people to be more mindful and more aware of what is happening. You know, it's really easy. Not for me so much. I don't I'm not a video consumer person. Um, I prefer to read, but I know that it's easy to fall down the YouTube rabbit hole and just like go and go and go. Oh, let's watch what's next. Oh, that headline sounds interesting. I'll watch that video. And you just kind of go. And so it's nice to be able to go and look and see what you've you've been doing. I do worry about, you know, same on the OS level. I worry about like people in abusive relationships and people, uh, kids with abusive parents and how this technology can be used. Um, but like, I don't know how to solve for that either. So by and large, I think it's good as long as we're mindful of what the potential trade-offs of, of this kind of technology can be, or, or this kind of reporting can be. I'm going to put on my Georgia Dow hat 
for a moment. So okay. whenever it has to do with society, I, I put on my Georgia Dow hat and it's currently, I think, a Magikarp from Pokemon hat, but it fits well. <laughs> uh, and the, the stuff about this is we we really we didn't evolve to sit in front of screens all day a lot of the things that we do every day now like sitting at desks um it's just not natural behavior and we don't really have the sort of safeguards built into us to handle this it'll take a while for us to evolve and as humans we are incredibly tuned to instant gratification and ego gratification which are two things that social and video and the internet provides in droves we never have to wait something is always available for us and we just live and die by oh they liked it. oh they didn't like it oh no and they, oh, they look so great. Oh, they think I look so great. It's just basically keyed in. It's like sugar, but for our brains. Uh, and it is it is hard to be mindful of those things. I don't really like the focus. I mean, surprise, surprise. I don't really like Google's focus because digital well-being to me is a little bit patronizing, a little bit pandery. I do like it in general when companies provide us with tools and metrics to help us better understand how we use um like the hardware and the and the services we have. And it's interesting to see very vertical companies, device makers like Apple build that into the OS and very horizontal companies like Facebook and Instagram build that into the service. And Google having both those elements builds it into Android and into YouTube so that regardless of what you're doing on Android or regardless of where you're watching YouTube, you have those metrics available to you. I think we have to be a little bit careful because just pummeling people with data is a good way to tune them out or just to make them feel overwhelmed. But I think if you think you have an issue and you think it's a big enough issue that you want to do something about it, being able to actually see it is a good way to empower yourself to make changes that you're comfortable with and to remind yourself to stay on course for it. Now, Renee, you've obviously been using iOS 12. Have you been using screen time and has it had some impact on how you use your devices? I, I mean, I've tried, but they reset it every time a beta yeah, comes out and the betas true. are coming out so always and they don't turn it back on. I have to remember, oh, I go to look at it and it's blank and it says, do you want to use screen time? I'm like, yes. I said yes. I literally just realized that. Yep. I was saying I hadn't been using it, but then I found it, uh, found it turned off when I updated. Yeah. So I have, and I've been trying to, but I've only been able to get a few days at a time of data. And yeah, I pick up my phone a lot, Jason. Yeah. So I guess much. a lot of us are going to have some self-realization, um, especially now that with, with it in Android Pie and uh, in iOS 12, uh, once the, they stop resetting it every time that, uh, we're going to have some realizations. There's going to be, you know, they're going to be think pieces. <laughs> there, there are a lot of think pieces <laughs> in a takes. lot of places. There's going to be a lot, yeah, a lot of hot takes. But, you know, better to have that information than not. And I think there's, you know, somebody could make the argument that it's against YouTube's best interests to show you how much you're using YouTube. But at the same time, you know, I, I approve, like a lean, I, I feel like. Yeah, you this is this is something that you have to be the one to change, but giving you the cold hard facts so that you have to be aware of what you're doing is an important tool. But again, you you have to want to to make changes. And it might affect their numbers, but also they're worried about legislation and if they can do a little if they can lose a little bit of numbers to avoid a lot of legislation, then I think that's they they feel that's in their best interest. Is it that cynical that they're they're just the only reason that they care about your well-being is that they're worried that they're going to get in trouble with governments? I think if they do it, if they did, if they started doing it this year, I would I would suggest that it's because governments are are always looking for things that is busy work to make them look good. uh, And because there's a bunch of hedge funds that or startups that try to make a lot of news out of this issue. I think if they've been doing it for years and building on it, then I'm less cynical about it. On the point of um, people using it less because they're aware of how much they're using it. I'm not actually sure that 
will happen a whole lot. It's kind of like you go into restaurants, at least in the U.S., and they have to disclose how many calories or anything. It's like people <laughs> still go to McDonald's, right? And they're still getting the Big Mac and super big fries and extra super large Coke. And so, like, I don't know. Are, it, it will impact some people, and I'm sure there will be a little bit of a dip, but I don't know that it'll be as profound as um, we we maybe think it will be. I, I will tell you, Aline, I have more than once seen a calorie count on a menu and changed what I ordered. Nice. For, wait, up or down, Jason? Da- down. Down. <laughs> I have also looked at the the calorie count on a double-double in and out and said, but I'm at in and out That's why I'm here, is for the calories. Uh, but I have I have on, on restaurant menus and on fast food menus, I have had that moment where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't need that. Just have a salad. So I, I think there's something, well, let's not go salad, Renee. <laughs> let's not be hasty here. You don't go in and out for salad. Don't you feel like current you really doesn't care that much about future yeah. you, whether it's ordering a Big Mac now the older, or staying up all night? The older I get, the more current me does care about future me. But uh, okay. yeah, there is that moment where you're like, Oh yeah, French fries are empty calories. I'm not going to have French fries, right? I just, but you're, but, and this is I've the point. I've never once said that. <laughs> this is the point: is um, that that you have to, you can use that information or you can discard it. It's not as if uh, YouTube has announced that if you watch more than an hour of YouTube a day, you'll be cut off. Like that's not what they're doing. They're just saying you can look if you want to. But and and what Apple's doing, it's the same thing. Like maybe I'm spending too much time on Twitter or you know or Instagram or whatever, and being able to set a limit. If I want, but I have to, I have yeah. to want to do it. They group it like social or games. So you can also see where your time is going, like what kind of app. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, like I said, my kids, especially my son, he uses, uh, YouTube all the time and I am at some point going to have to look and see what that number is just cause I'm fascinated to see what he is doing there. But I, I'm also kind of frightened they by watch that. video game videos of them of the video game that they're playing while watching the video game of the video the video of the video game renee have you been in my house because that's exactly right <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right my son is playing a, a video game on a console while he's got his headphones on attached to an ipad that's playing a youtube video of somebody playing that game that is exactly right which is why i think that t- if you could add up the screen to his screen time he probably has something like 40 hours a day of screen time because he's got all the different devices all running simultaneously um we do have more to talk about on on this episode, but before we move on to other topics, I want to tell you about not a sponsor, but just a reminder that Relay FM has a membership program. And we'll put a link in the show notes of this episode so you can directly support download, uh, or you can go to relay.fm slash membership. You get a whole bunch of bonuses if you support Relay FM, including a bunch of bonus episodes of Relay FM podcasts. Now, this year, uh, Stephen and I joined Dan and Micah from Clockwise to do a totally weird Clockwise download, downwise clock load combination where we talked about Apple products that should be killed or were killed from the past, and it was chaotic and a lot of fun. You also get access to the uh, crossover episodes that we've done in previous years. And of course, uh, I did a text adventure game with CGP Gray and Mike Hurley that you get. You get all the shows, bonus episodes for all time if you support any relay fm show including download so check it out relay.fm slash membership and uh, we appreciate your support 
All right. The story you might have missed is next, something that may have flown under your radar, but is worth mentioning. And it's about Uber. Uber is getting into the scooter business. What I want to say here is just when you thought Uber couldn't get more annoying, they're getting in the scooter business now. But I think it's interesting because they realize that it is during rush hour, as Uber CEO said to the Financial Times this week, pretty inefficient to go 10 blocks in a car when you could just step on a little electric scooter and zip uh, down the street or sidewalk or whatever much faster. So Uber bought a bike sharing startup, has a deal with the, I think the Bird, or maybe it's Lime. It's one of those electric scooter starts startups. Um, it got a recommendation to operate electric scooters in Santa Monica, California. It's one of 12 companies vying for the five permits to oper- operate electric scooters in San Francisco. Um, and they said, yes, this means that they, they may reduce some trips of uber drivers although the idea here is that the average length of an uber trip would go up because it would be these e-bikes and e-scooters would be more for short trips i think it's an interesting uh trying to think kind of holistically about all the different ways people can get around in cities by uber so if you missed it there it is um we have one more topic today And uh, this is not going to be fun, I think, but I think it is worth talking about, which is the president of the United States (laughs) said this week that Google is rigging search results against him and his fellow Republicans. Uh, Conservatives like Senator Ted Cruz have claimed that right wing personalities have been silenced on social media platforms. Google provided a statement to Gizmodo saying search is not used to set a political agenda and we don't bias our results toward any political ideology. Uh, Tech companies say uh, similar things in this regard um something else that happened this week though uh some employees inside facebook have uh formed a group that was reported on that is facebookers for political diversity who claim that their conservative views are not welcome at facebook um now that group has also upset other facebook employees who say that its posts are actually offensive to people including minority groups uh and several employees have lodged lodged complaints so yeah this is a fun one um but uh, but i feel like we need to at least talk about it i'm not quite sure what the what the best angle is i mean the way i took away from this is there seems to be very much in the united states at least and probably around the world a real debate over what legitimate political discourse is versus what uh and what uh what truth and fairness and balance are and that if you can't agree then you get a situation like we're in now where people can't even agree on the terms to have the debate uh anyway what a mess aline what do you think about this i'm gonna come to you first here oh geez um well I guess my first thought on, in terms of Facebook and conservative employees feeling persecuted, we saw this with Google earlier this year. I mean, this is not really a new complaint. And the thing I always come back to is your political affiliation is not a protected class. Um, And I feel... I feel bad for the people who are conservative for, you know, like fiscal reasons or whatever. And here are my biases as like a flaming liberal coming out. But like if you are feeling persecuted because you don't want like people of color in the workplace and you think women aren't capable, like you don't get protection for being a jerk. Like you just don't. It's not a thing anyway that should exist. Um, And so that's kind of where I go. Like, (sighs) 
Right, right. If somebody, I mean, and again, we have to talk about extremes because the the debate is pushing us there. But like if somebody says, well, I am a Holocaust denier or I believe that that uh, that uh, people of different races shouldn't mix in the workplace. People aren't like, oh, we need to protect that person's views. Right. We're like, no, those are unacceptable views in our society. And when you draw that line, it's like beyond this point. We, you know, as an employer, as somebody who's trying to create a, a work environment, this this stuff is not welcome here. Yeah. And, and that's totally different from having a disagreement on, you know, where where appropriation funds go. Right. Like they're completely different conversations. And so on the one hand, it's like, yeah, I, I'm sorry if you're conservative and you're kind of getting wrapped up in that extreme end of the rhetoric right now. Um but on the other hand, there are some very real concerns with people who identify themselves as conservatives. And it's not just conservatives. And there are many liberal people. And I hate that we have like this two-sided spectrum, too, because it's not. But um, yeah, so, so that's where I fall on that. As far as like the Trump versus um, Google thing... <sighs> See for for me, it's the same issue, which is it's a fight over what it, where that line is. Where it is. In, in in the view of the president of the United States, the search results are biased because he believes that Fox News and Breitbart and Drudge are neutral sources, and Google doesn't, <laughs> and he believes that CNN is a extreme liberal biased source and a lot of other people feel like no that's more toward the center and if you can't agree on what biased and less more biased and less biased is uh then how are we going to that that is if he actually believes it i mean because the other argument is that this is pushing the window of what is considered neutrality so if the argument is well fox news is neutral like that completely changes the map it's interesting for me because uh you know as a canadian um thanks uh, <laughs> rub it in Renee, rub it no in. i mean especially as a quebecer and people aren't familiar with quebec politics the liberals are the far right here and the separatists are in the middle and then the socialists are on the left it's a completely different dynamic and i urge anybody to live here because it will make you draw political labels as fast as you can eat mm. poutine which is super fast yeah um but just watching it i mean i've always got the sense that google really you're dealing with a machine you literally you're dealing with a machine you're not dealing with a bunch of humans who are editing this stuff and they don't care what language you speak what religion you are what political affiliation you decide to call yourself they just want data and the more and wider the data they get the better and what they spit out is almost always what you put in like people will complain, oh, I'm getting really weird Google search results. Well, what did you search for? Oh, oh, never mind. Uh, so a, a lot of that plays into it. And also being humans and often being very egocentric humans, we tend to anything that sort of pleases us, makes us happy is great. That's the way the world should be. And anything that doesn't please us, it's terrible. And it's a conspiracy and it's out to get me. And we take all these things very, very personally. It's just most often for many, many years, I'll call it the West Wing a romantic era, that stuff didn't get pushed into the public spotlight, uh, especially not by politicians, uh, probably even not by, you know, by, by, by large scale publish it, publications. And now we're sort of seeing this unfettered, unfiltered, um, maybe un, uh, uh, even un, you know, I don't know what the right word is for that. When you don't consider something in advance, it's just all being splattered at the speed of Twitter all over all of us. And I think that's another one of those evolutionary things that we're just not capable of understanding or processing. And we'll almost have to become media literate all over again to be able to digest it. 
you know, people in power never like being criticized. And so, of course, it's in their best interest to complain that the people who are criticizing them are prominent when they obviously shouldn't be because there's nothing that they're doing to be criticized. And that that is across all political spectrums. That is just the fact of people in power disliking uh, truth being told to them that they don't want to hear. But it is interesting to just see it laid out on the table, which is how dare you, neutral Google, be uh, showing all of these sources that uh, that criticize me even if you do something so bad that everybody agrees you should be criticized for it the answer would still be how dare you because that's what happens with people in power i think um, I do. And I do feel for the people who, um, as Aline said earlier, I, I, I do feel for the people who feel like they have a view that's unpopular in their organization and that they're uh, they're afraid to offer it. And I have no doubt that there are people who, especially in Silicon Valley, who vote Republican and don't like Donald Trump and don't believe in racist ideologies and all sorts of things like that, who still feel like they can't say anything about anything because of the the uh, the environment around them. And I feel for them, right? I mean, you should be able to do that. This is this is also a real side effect of just how politically charged this era is. Well, and also having two parties that effectively have a Super Bowl every four years. Like, if you are fiscally conservative and socially liberal, you really have very little place in in binary politics. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, it's a mess. What what you going to do? I I don't know. I I think Google is doing the right thing here by saying, look, we we don't do this. Like, it's that simple. Like, we don't do this. I find it concerning that people with their hands on the levers of power are essentially suggesting something must be done about google search results because the suggestion there is yes we need what we need is the government to step in and tell google how to prioritize search results that seems like a bad idea oh isn't that that classic sorkinism where they say that they want government just small enough to get into your bedroom yeah where it's like we don't want anything regulated but you got to regulate that and we're we're a bully but we're also a victim yeah it is interesting to me you know we have <clears throat> pardon me an administration who's trying to trying to get government out of so many things and use that as a selling point for their administration but you know when it when it's something that benefits them they want to hop right in and and uh and do what they can to make themselves look good it's it's a it's a hard situation to be in and another thing is and I'm you know far from the first person to say this but just even the fact that facts and truth have been more or less lost we can we can see things said by one side and acted upon by one side that are demonstrably false but doesn't even matter you can show somebody proof and it doesn't stop them uh which i don't know how i don't know how we fix that it it, it's very tough yeah and it, hap- and it happens on from all perspectives, right? Because that's the thing that we've also seen is that, you know, right now the Republicans hold all the levers of power in the United States. So we talk about that. But we've also seen it that during the run up to the election and after that, that, you know, definitely things get shared on social media that get people on the other side up in arms that turn out to be completely false, but it reinforces their worldview. And so it's it, it's taken as basically ammunition in this in this struggle that's leading up to the, the you know, the Super in this push and pull between these the, uh, two things that are on this uh, on this simple ideological spectrum that it has been set up politically in the U.S., so it's uh, uh, yeah, interesting times, huh? Interesting times for all of us. Um, I am thoroughly uh, depressed now, which is why I'm going to move on to what we call the fuzzy puppy update, uh, which is something to make you feel a little bit happier before you finish listening to download, and it's this. 
people in an apartment complex in Norfolk, Virginia, kept hearing the sound of a meowing kitten. And they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Do you have a kitten? Do you have a kitten? I don't have a kitten. I've heard that kitten. Where is that kitten? People are looking around the building. They're trying to figure it out. For five days, there's the sound of a meowing kitten, and they have no idea where it's coming from. Finally, the sound seemed to remain in one place, which was behind the sink in a bathroom in one of the apartments. And the people in this apartment building, bless them, did exactly what they needed to do in that situation, which is they started sawing and opening up the wall behind the bathroom. And guess what? There was a kitten in there. How did the kitten get inside the walls of the apartment building? Nobody really knows, but the kitten has been safely removed from the walls of the apartment building and put up for adoption i believe today they're going to adopt out the kitten in norfolk virginia isn't that nice people uh heard a meowing kitten and they got and they got it out i think that's a nice thing nice way to end nice way to end this episode in these dark times humanity redeemed in which we live the puppy was a kitten all along the pu- it was a, that, that was the twist is that the fuzzy puppy huh. update was about a kitten I'm, I'm i have a cat and a dog i'm not going to make it about puppies all the time it's a <laughs> metaphorical puppy um and a metaphorically fuzzy one at that aline sims where can people find the stuff that you do um you can find my podcast at uh, relay.fm slash originality we talk about creativity and the roots of creative genius and um you can find app launch map at applaunchmap.com i help uh small independent developers with the non-code side of launching their apps and you can find me here and there on social media um i have a summary of everything on twitter and that's twitter um i'm at aline a-l-e-e-n on twitter all right, Renee, where can people find the stuff you do? Uh, I'm at Renee Ritchie on Twitter and the other social things. Uh, my column is at imore.com slash vector and youtube.com slash vector show for uh, my experiment at chatting in picture form. All right. People. And Nick, where can people find the stuff you do? I'm at the Nick guy on Twitter, which is probably the best place for me. And uh, at Wirecutter, I'm always telling you the best something or another. Excellent. And then <laughs> I buy it. It's a dangerous game. Dangerous, dangerous. Well, it works for me. That is it. Thank you to Stephen Hackett for helping put together the episode. And we will see you next week. But until then, we'll keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. Bye.